to the first edition of the brand new SBK betting podcast. I am Jess Stafford and I will be your host where each week we will endeavour to bring you up to speed with all the best news and previews of the biggest events in the sporting calendar. And what a way to begin with the legend of British sport, golfer Lee Westwood, who joins me today ahead of this week's Ryder Cup which is at Whistling Straits and finally returns, Lee, after the COVID pandemic postponed it from its rightful place last year. So without further ado, welcome, Lee. Fantastic to see you and thank you for joining us. First of all, congratulations for qualifying for your 11th Ryder Cup, a phenomenal achievement to tie with Sir Nick Faldo's record. That must feel pretty special. Yeah, hi, Jess. Yeah, thanks. Yes, it's uh, it seems like a long time since Paris when the last... Ryder Cup uh, was held, um, so it's nice to uh, finally to have come around, and like you say, it's nice to be tying Sir Nick Faldo's record. Um, ironic, really, that he set the record of eleven Ryder Cups in 1997 at Valderrama, and I was his partner, and that was my first one. So uh, it's all kind of gone full circle, really. And uh, yeah, it's uh, he, he's obviously a legend of the game, and it's nice to be tying a record that he holds. Yeah, incredible to come full circle. And look, we've got so much to discuss ahead of it and a lot to get stuck into. We'll, we'll discuss Ryder Cup. And while we have you, we must talk about our mutual love for horse racing, um, as well as your beloved Nottingham Forest, as there's plenty to, to discuss in terms of <laughs> how their season has started. You don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Well, we, we'll, we'll touch on that because we know you're such a big sports fan and this podcast, we're, we're aiming to get through so much where sport is. Ahead of the Ryder Cup, SBK are running a special limited time offer where new customers who deposit at least £10 get their first £40 of bets completely risk-free, refunded in cash. That means if you back Europe to win the Ryder Cup this week and they don't get the job done, you'll get your first bets fully refunded as cash up to £40. And with the best odds in the market, you know you're getting the best price with SBK. Go to getsbk.com or download the app from the App Store or Play Store. Users must be 18 and over. And of course, please gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more information. The Ryder Cup is where we'll begin. Lee, you've got so much experience in this tournament and I found an interesting quote. You you once said you you about the Ryder Cup, you do want it to be over as quickly as possible with the right outcome, but once it's over, you, you want it to start again because it's such a unique experience, a combination of adrenaline, competitiveness and team spirit. And I just wanted to touch on 2018 at Le Golf National, which was obviously pretty special, but unique for you as a non-playing vice captain. What was it like from that perspective to see the boys win the way they did? Well, it was a lot easier watching them play than actually playing yourself. A lot less nerve-wracking. Um, but no, obviously, it was a fantastic performance from the lads. Um, they pretty much, pretty much all played well. Um, the golf course was great for us. Set up, set up really well. Um, it wasn't like the Americans didn't play well. We just played, you know, when you're watching from the outside like I was, rather than being involved playing the shots, you could appreciate how well everybody played. And, uh, you know, every, every, everyone to a man played some great stuff. And, uh, and it was an incredible atmosphere as well. Probably the best atmosphere of, uh, I don't know whether it was me not playing, being able to appreciate it more, because you kind of yeah. don't when, you, when you're in, in the heat battle. 
Um, but I walked down the first fairway with uh, Rory McIlroy in the singles and uh, the, the atmosphere was incredible when he was playing uh, Justin Thomas first out. And uh, uh, hopefully this time around it'll be an equally as good uh, atmosphere and I get to appreciate it as a player again. Yeah, the celebrations were just electric, especially when Francesca clinched it over Phil Mickelson. And we've seen what happened on the course with the celebrations. It must have been a bit of a party afterwards as well. Yeah, there were a few uh, few red blurry eyes on the Monday as everybody <laughs> left. Um, I don't know who was last to leave. I think Toby Arnolson and Justin Rose were a, a couple of the, the warriors that carried on most of the night. So... Uh, um, yeah, after after all of them, there's been a pretty good party. Obviously, just a little bit better when you've won. Um, and uh, yeah, like I say, there were a, there were a few blurry eyes on that getting on flights on uh, Monday morning to leave. So you've you've obviously had that opportunity to see it from that from that view. But I was thinking about this opportunity to be a team player, and what more or less normally is that is an individual individual sport. That must have given you some thrills over the years. And looking back, your link up with Darren Clark and that pair up with Nicholas Colsarts in 2012. You talked about being a rookie yourself. That was that was one of probably the most memorable experiences you must have had in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I think Nicholas's performance at, at, in Chicago was probably. Never mind him being a rookie, but probably one of the, if not the best performance I've ever seen in a Ryder Cup. He was 10 under par uh, in his in his first ever round as a Ryder Cup player. You know, you talk about taking a little while to settle in. He just came out of the blocks and uh, and left me with very little to do, really. I think I, I, I came in on the 12th and that was about it. Um, yeah, and obviously I've had a lot of good partners uh, over the years, um, right from the very first one, Nick Fowler, and then playing with Darren and then Sergio and Luke Donald um, and obviously Nicholas Colsarts in, in Chicago. Um, it, you know, it, it's been it's been great to play with all those guys. You, the week of a Ryder Cup, you learn more because we are individuals and we tend not to let our guard down too much. That week you do and you get, get to learn more about the guys and, uh, and you make a lot of friends for life. Yeah, so looking at the the challenge at hand with this year's Ryder Cup, you know, it's is a a unique one in the fact that you've you've had to wait. So the the anticipation is so much. But the in terms of the markets and what they're saying, SBK have got USA at four to seven, Europe twenty three to ten, the draw at fourteen to one. So it looks very heavy in favour of, of USA back on home soil. Um, and also in terms of the crowds, we know that it's going to be pretty heavy in favour USA crowds because no Europeans can likely to get there. And this course is pretty unique. And I just wanted to touch on the course first, knowing you played there. It's pretty tough. I found another quote from you saying that it's very, very difficult, almost a little too difficult. And it almost seems a bit too long. long. Can you explain what it's like to play at? Whistling straights. Um, well, first and foremost, you know the, the the United States team normally always the favourites, aren't they? They're normally, uh, you know, we're normally the underdogs for some reason. Um, I guess I guess they look into a lot of different things when you, you're formulating the odds for something like the Friday Cup. You've got to take into consideration uh, world rankings and ages of the teams and and things like that. The golf course, can you set it up to suit the American team? Which I think with Whistling Straits, you probably can't. Um, it's pretty much there, laid out. If you go outside the fair, you can't make the 
fairways anyway. Once you get off fairways, it's into sand dunes. Uh, the weather conditions up there can get windy, so you can't really cut the greens down much faster than um, is, is, is reasonable to hold the ball on the greens. It's not like you could cut them down to 13 on the stint metre. Um, could be cold, could be blowy, although the weather forecast does look pretty good for next week, or for, for the week. Um, and all the statistics that you use for, you know, compiling the odds, all taken into consideration individual achievements. You know, the, the, the world rankings are all based on individual achievements. Um, and the week of the Ryder Cup, you come together as a team. So it's, you know, completely different to what we do week in, week out. And, uh, and you know, the European team seem to, seem to bond well and bond that little bit better. So... Uh, I I never I, I always go into it not really thinking that either team's particularly favourite. You know, it's a it's a pretty level level playing field, and I always think it's just who holds the most putts at the right times, and and generally just plays that last hole well. You know, when you need to under pressure, that's who's gonna that's who's gonna come out on top at the end of the week. Yeah, you talk about like the world rankings. I found that the average world ranking in the American team is nine put. 9.0 the Europeans by contrast are 29.4 do you think we get really bogged down by these individual stats when as you say it is a team game at the end of the day well everybody else talks about it the team and the players won't talk about it um, everybody else talks about it because you'd be bored and have nothing to write about you know, <laughs> journalists and TV and the whole media you know they've got to find something to talk about so you just drag up all sorts of statistics and we generally don't really look too much into those. Um, yes, the Americans have got a strong side, but, you know, we're defending it. Um, we've got strong players as well. So um, it, it, it'll it be close. It always is. And do you think the experience that you've got gives you that mentality? You, you, can, you can have that mentality going into it because you've been, as you say, an underdog so many times. Yeah. I think uh, you know some of the statistics. We've we've won more tournaments than their team, um, which of course we're going to because we're generally on average. Well, we are on average older, so we will have played more tournaments. But we've won something like two hundred and ten tournaments between the twelve of us on the European team, and the Americans have won something like hundred and ten, hundred and twenty. So uh, you know you, you can always bend the mole statistics into how you want them to read. Mm. And look, the potential pairings is another thing the media will be deliberating all the way up until their announcements. And we have seen some epic pairings, which we've discussed. From your perspective, who would you like to see paired up together for the weekend? Well, Brooks and Bryson on their side. Yeah. That's the obvious one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was uh, a, I was going to go on if you weren't going to say that. Do you think, do you think that will happen? No, I don't think so. I think they'll probably try and keep those two apart. But on the European, but you know, the Europeans won't be particularly concerned about what the U the US team are doing. We'll just do our own thing and try and get our own pairings, um, match people up as successfully as we can. Um, I think we've got a good mix of youth and experience, and I think we've got pairings that naturally fit together. We won't have to try too hard to. To blend pairings together, um, I don't know uh, any of them at the moment who the, who they'll be. You know, the captain's keeping those quite close to his chest. But we've all been asked who we, who we'd like to play with, and uh, you know who we think 
our games would fit well with, and they're using statistics and all and all different formulas to to work that out as well. So, what makes a good pairing then, in your opinion? I think similar games help, especially in foursomes. Obviously, you've got to get on well with your partner. You know, it's no good if you don't. Um, it's a long five, five hours out there if you if you don't like each other. Um, but I think even down to using the same golf ball in foursomes. You know, if you if one has to change golf ball, make up golf balls, that can that can be the difference. Um, but generally, if if you've got a, a similar game and similar strengths, similar weaknesses, so you can play to your strengths, then that helps. And your strength in the pairs golf has always been your forte with the Ryder Cup. Can you put that down into anything in particular? I think I'm pretty easy to get along with. Um, I think probably people like playing with me because I generally don't give holes away. You know, I'm, I'm pretty straight off the tee, pretty good tee to green in general. And, um, you know, just um, reliable and, 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 don't, and don't give too many holes away, really. And in terms of who you would be keen to be part partner up with, can you give us away anything that you would any any insight into your dream pairing? Um, the captain asked me, and I gave him three or four names, but it's it, it, they're three or four of the other eleven guys. Okay, you'll keep it close to your chest. Well, we know you and Garcia are unbeaten in the fours. Perhaps the next Mollywood, which, by the way, his namesake is doing very well as a racehorse. I don't know if you've noticed. I did see that. Yeah, yeah, but doing very well. So love to find a, a racehorse name for you and a, and a future partner. Um, it makes it, it makes. I thought Shane Lowry of one. You know, it's been widely noted his um, involvement in the team is it's brilliant to have. And Project Harrington has said that you know he doesn't seem like a rookie, um, yeah. even though he is, which is brilliant to have. But. There are three rookies versus the six rookies that the USA bring. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think rookies are rookies as such anymore. Um, if you look at Shane, I mean, he's the Open champion. You can't play under any more pressure than coming down the last holes, last few holes trying to win a major championship, and that's what you would like him playing in the Ryder Cup to. Victor Hovland, um, you know, Plays in the States, perform well on the big stage. Um, and and Bert Wiesberger, you know, I think everybody underestimates the great golf that he played right at the end of the qualifying there uh, to get into the team. He can obviously play under pressure. You know, it's uh, it's a tough place to be when you're playing for your spot. And, you know, he came through it with flying colours. So they're all uh, very mature uh, characters. And I think... Obviously, there's a shock when you get on that first tee and you're playing your first Ryder Cup. Every, everybody gets nervous, and no matter how many you played, I mean, it's going to be my 11th, and I, I still get nervous on that first tee. But uh, they, they look like they can. You get a sense that they can all handle that. You look at the, the US team, all, all six are there, rookies. Whilst you wouldn't ideally want six, half your team to be rookies, um, you know, they're all one of them, the Olympic champion. Um, mm. Another one's Colin, Colin Morikawa, who has won two major championships already. So they're not they're not rookies in the old sense of the, the term. Where you know many years ago when I played my first one, I was like legitimately a, a rookie. Yeah, uh, that's what I was I was going to say. The term has sort of changed, and that your experience as yeah. a rookie was you probably came in with a lot of like nerves are still because you're nothing to lose you're there you know with a, with a lot of adrenaline where this is just a different concept and trying to understand how to 
be part of a team which most might not have been that used to. That's the mm. one difference, but the experience is is there definitely. Yeah, and I think both teams try and do little bits in the run up to try and bring everybody together. So all of our different get togethers, and I know the United States team have had a, a, a weekend where they went and practiced there and kind of bonding sessions. So everybody gets to get a feel for that team environment before they actually get to the Ryder Cup. Yeah, and look, in terms of, uh, we've talked about odds for the teams, but there's always good markets for the point scorers as well. And as individuals, you know, look at the US 18, their serious strength as, as, as individuals. And Justin Thomas, 6-1 to one to be top USA point scorer. Dustin Johnson, Spieth, Cantlay, they're all 7-1. to one. Do you see, are there any standouts that you can see from the US side? I'm going to ask you the same about Europe that you feel will will head home a top point scorer. No, I don't don't think so. I think, uh, you know, the the names you're mentioning are all big scouts for a European player to take. So, you know, maybe you try a bit harder against those people. So, and... I mean, I mean, the only thing is, you, you ideally, if you're going to have a bet, you're, I suppose you ideally want to have somebody that's going to play five matches. There aren't that many people that play five matches in, in, anymore. In, in my day, you know, you kind of, you kind of played your, your best players and, you know, and, and just got the most out and played them over and over again. And now it seems like, you know, your best players, you, you, you're trying to rest for a session here or there. So generally... People, you, you try not to play people more than four times, although I think uh, the Mollywood pairing played five times last time round. But, you know, would you have picked Francesco Molinari to be the the mm. highest points winner last time round? Well, probably not. So uh, um, somebody will say they backed him, but <laughs> so it's the same with gamblers, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so so, so I, always, I always think it's a tough one to pick out, the, the highest point scorer. Yeah, from the European perspective, John Rahm is 17 to 5, even though his Ryder Cup record isn't as high as others. You know, Sergio Garcia at 10 to 1, is his his points marks speak for themselves. So, as you say, it's, you know, how you, your mentality going into the Ryder Cup, which which leads me to something that I wanted to ask you about. There's a bit of a conversation about Brooks Kapka at the moment, who's talked about the, the, the contrast of going from an individual sport to a team one and it's it's very hard to def- decompress. You found it very demanding. And I know yourself mentioned that in January 2020 that you weren't sure you could take any more Ryder Cups. For you yourself, has, has absence made the heart grow fonder in terms of your approach to this year's tournament or can you see where Kepka comes from? Yeah, I think when you miss out on one, then you, you know that you're obviously keen to get back in there again, especially if you've played a lot. But I, I can see where Brooks is coming from uh, with what he's saying. It, it, you know, some people find it difficult to just adjust to that team environment. We've we've all sort of got into golf because we all like you know the 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 book to stop with us at the end of the day. We like being individuals, and we don't like you know a lot of us will play will have played team sports. In our in our youth, and we've kind of transferred to golf because it's an individual sport, and we like that environment. And then you're th- kind of thrown into the team environment. And the week of the Ryder Cup, there is a lot to do. You know, there's they cram a lot of media in there, and and dinners and practice rounds take a lot longer, and there aren't a lot of hours in the day. And if you're somebody like Brooks that likes to chill out when he's going into a tournament, you know, a major championship, he maybe play 18 holes on a Monday, then nine holes Tuesday, nine holes Wednesday, and not really not do a lot. Um, it's 
it's it's very full on and he you know he says how he likes to go to the gym and work out and do stuff like that there's just no time in the day to do that and if you're going to do that you do it at five o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock at night which is not ideal because it's such a hectic week and so draining you want to be relaxing um so part of the thing about Ryder Cup and going into the team environment is adaptation you have to adapt to different circumstances and some people find it difficult and for you with we're looking as you say you know you've had this this wait for it and now you've you've kind of all g'd up for it and for you knowing that you might have the opportunity to equal Nick Nick Faldo's points record at the Ryder Cup does that give you a bit of fire in your belly for this year's renewal not really I think uh you know the 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 points totals and you know a few years ago I went past Seve's and um, I, did, I didn't know I was going to do that at the time. I didn't even know until somebody told me that I had done it. Um, you, you turn up at a Ryder Cup wanting to win points for your team and for your teammates and for Europe. Um, and that's something that you sit down afterwards and somebody says, oh, you've gone to number two in the points total or you've gone past Nick Faldo's record. And, you know, obviously I will will do because I'll have won a lot of points and uh, and won a lot of points for Europe. And, you know, that that will it in turn help us to win the win the cup so yeah you you try you try and control what's right there in front of you you know the the accolades and the records something that come afterwards sounds like you're already in the right team mentality team spirit for it all and um it <laughs> leads me yeah. <laughs> i've been doing it for nearly 25 years so uh... yeah it comes around as like clockwork your body's like yeah. right back back in the back in the game and actually it really leads me nicely into um a question i want to ask you about about your personal team because helen you're you're now wife and congratulations on your recent recent marriage he's this is a very unique pairing as your caddy and one that seems to have had a huge benefit to your game um recently can you tell me a little bit more how she has changed your golf over the last few years and will she be on your bag for this year's Ryder cup uh, no, she won't. Sam's doing it. Sam's doing the right. Wow. My son. Your son. So, uh, yeah, Helen's Helen's doing all the the wives and partners things, and uh, um, Sam's doing the caddying. So Sam's caddied for me a lot this year as well. Uh, the Masters and and other events in in Europe, Scottish Show. Uh, Helen, you know, they they kind of share it between the two of them. Um, but both, you know, know what to say to me. Don't get involved with the yardages or picking clubs and things like that. But are good on the psychology side of things and. Uh, just keep me in a good, nice, relaxed frame of mind out on the golf course, which is even more important the week of the Ryder Cup. Brilliant. And we've got a Twitter question in that saying, um, do you think we'll see more players asking friends and family to be on the bag rather than a professional caddy? It seems like a lot of players are having success like you are with having someone close to them out there on the course. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, it's valuable to have a, a good experience caddy, but when you get to a certain, a certain age and you've kind of experienced everything, and you you know you you know your own game really well. So, you know, I look at somebody like Stuart Sink who has his son doing it for him. Um, I think it is uh, easier to have somebody like a son or a wife um, caddying for you. Um, you know, it, it depends. You know what direction you want to go with it. Um, and uh, you know, at the time when Helen started caddying for me, I felt like I needed more of a or psychological help out in the golf course than, uh, than you know, doing my own yardages. It helped for me to do my own yardages because it cleared a clear path to picking a club. I didn't have anybody else's ideas going through my head. And uh, I just went back to playing my own game, really, and was fully committed to that. 
well, brilliant to have the family with you for, for, for the week. And look, just to finish on the Ryder Cup, because we've got a lot of more sport that we want to get to. You've done it, obviously, all in the tournament. You've been a vice captain. Um, this is your 11th Ryder Cup. And I can't not ask you about the idea of captaining the team um, when the team, when the tournament returns to, to Europe, to Rome next time. You, you said that Harrington was the perfect captain for for this time around, but does the idea of captain still motivate you? And is that something you want to strive for? Yeah, I'd love to do it sometime in the future. But, you know, the the last time I was involved in Paris, if you'd have asked me, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have thought I was going to be making any more teams. So, you know, who, who knows how long I'll go on playing well for, you know, and, and I've proved I'm still capable of uh, of qualifying for teams so yeah I'd love to be captain and I sort of half had the idea of doing it in, in Italy in Rome but uh, I think it's uh, I think it's just uh, I'm going to have to have a good sit down after this Ryder Cup and make and, and throw a thing, few things around and make a decision between uh, sort of in, in the next three months before the, the season starts again next year in January and just you know, clear clear a few things up in my mind where what direction I want everything to go. Yeah, and look, it's obviously a big uh, format to becoming captain as well. It's not just a click and it's it's done. It's a huge process, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of it, it's a full time job nearly now, so uh, it, it it becomes a bit consuming and you gain you don't have enough time to work on your own game and it does deteriorate a little bit. And you know, I got uh, you know, I, I enjoy playing golf. I enjoy going out there and competing. So while I can still compete, I wouldn't want to um, do anything that would be detrimental to that. So uh, it's, it is going to have to be a sit down and think about it. And because not just golf, you've got lots of things that go on outside of golf as well, which leads me quite nicely into into your other love and passion, which is horse racing, which we can both um, agree on. And it's a, obviously a sport that has captivated you over the years. And um, I just wanted to talk about the passion for racing. And as you've moved into ownership as well, I just want to start first and your earliest memories of horse racing and, and what got you into it. Uh, I suppose my earliest was watching watching it on TV with my dad and and granddad uh, Boxing Day and uh, from from Kempton and um, I guess the Grand National things like things like that that were on TV um, you know having having a Tempe Tempe win on a horse and things like that uh, and then when I turned professional I started playing golf uh, and, and had a bit of success earned a few quid you know I just I decided to buy a racehorse, which was an expensive idea, and uh, <laughs> and and it's and it's really sort of <laughs> carried on from there. Um, and so, what was your first racehorse in training? Uh, I bought a horse uh, with Derek Shaw called In the Arena, which was fairly unsuccessful, and uh, it didn't do very well. But I, I bought a few uh, successful ones since then. Oh, actually, yeah. all over the world, you know, South Africa, um, we've had runners in Dubai, uh, even in, in the United States, uh, mainly in Britain and uh, Ireland. But, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of good ones. I, I didn't realise how lucky I'd been until, uh, you know, I, I bought a few that didn't win. But, uh, yeah. you know, how successful, you know, the early early ones were. Yeah, it's um, it's a game which it, it, it draws you in. I, I understand that completely. Yeah. But York Hill has been just the story of York Hill is just phenom- phenomenal, and we all loved 
being sort of involved in that celebration that you had and the enjoyment because he was such a legend of a horse. Um, and then you became an, his owner. Can you just explain how that came about and also memories of that unforgettable day when he won at Newcastle at 66 to 1? Yes. Um, well, Graham Wiley, um, who owns Close House, he was trying to uh, get out of horse racing. So myself and uh, Dave Armstrong, who's who's owned horses for a long time, and I own horses with him now, um, we said we'd buy four or five off, off Graham. Uh, and one of them, there was Bells Hill in there, Vardarev, uh, Stay Humble, I think, York Hill, and, and maybe another one. Um, and we just thought we'd bring them over to England and, and race in the north and uh, obviously they've all got a fantastic pedigree um, and York Hill's obviously won at Cheltenham before you know and and, and in Ireland um, and it yeah it was really emotional watching him do his thing you know making a comeback a bit like me and my career in golf you know an old timer making a making a comeback and uh, just watching him well basically win from start to finish and, and lead him round and showing his class coming up the, the straight there. Yeah, completely like rejuvenated and with a zest and love for what he was doing, which yeah. is a really nice com- comparison to your own your own golf. I was wondering if that joy, does that even come on par to a winning moment, you know, in, in, in individual golf or even the Ryder Cup? Can you compare it at all? No, I get far more nervous and emotional watching the race, race yeah. horses than I do playing golf. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's uh, racking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah, it's just it's just great to see. You know, they're they're elite athletes, aren't they? They're incredible. Uh, they're, they're incredible athletes, and it's great to see them doing their thing. And when you have a really really good one, you just you just look at one, and it and sometimes they just look like a Formula One car. You know, racing against just street cars. Yeah. And, and your and your kill when he stood there, he, you know, he, he and and Belzil was the same, and um, Vardarev's the same. When I look at him now, he'll be running again soon. Um, they just look like Formula One cars. They're just incredible, uh, incredible looking beasts. Yeah, they really are. So, in terms of how often you get to go racing, and I know that you've got a, a Lee Westwood syndicate with Mick and David Easterby as well. How a how are you able to fit it all in, and b how closely are you able to follow it all? Yeah, I haven't been for a while. I've been backwards and forwards to America so much this year, and with the COVID uh, protocols and having to quarantine for t- ten days when you get back. Although it's mm. all changed now, I haven't really been able to to get down there. But uh, yeah, we, uh, the syndicate with uh, Mike and David is is going well, and uh, I've got other horses with them as well. Sam's Call, which I bought for my son for his 18th birthday, that one uh, two or three weeks ago at Beverly. Um, and, um, and all the horses that I own with Dave Armstrong, uh, the jumpers, they're about to come back out. We're excited about them. They've all had a, all had a good summer in the field. Um, so busy time coming up, yeah. So and also, I'm you primarily, and you've had success on the hoof. It's a legend of the game as well. Yeah. Um, and that Goodwin win was just stays firm in, in my memory from from you mm. as a, a racehorse owner, but. It, your Cheltenham Festival seems like the, the the week that you always try and aim to get to. Is that right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, it has been. Although that last year I played in the Players Championship that week, which was probably a good good decision because I finished <laughs> second sec, 
second and won one point six million dollars. So instead of uh, instead of losing, they're doing too badly, it felt. Yeah. Yeah, well, you did too quite... badly the year before. <laughs> yeah, but not quite that good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think Cheltenham's incredible. You know, the the roar on the first day as that first race goes off, and just you know, I, I bought a horse from my dad uh, one Christmas called Bally Alton, and uh, he won at Cheltenham about four years ago. Um, and just to you know have a winner at Cheltenham's an, an incredible experience, and. You know, watching him come up that hill and jump, ping that final fence and then pull away was amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, you seem like you've got, so on the books at the moment, how many Lee Westwood co-owned, owned horses are there for us to follow? Uh, <laughs> That's a good uh, sign. Do you need to count? <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing there's some, somewhere around the region of, of 12. Could be more, I think. Um, but yeah, and... and Fairly successful ones as well. So, uh, um, yeah, looking forward to start, you know, having a bit of time at home. I've played so much this year. I really haven't had a chance to, to watch them too often. But uh, I've got, uh, I'm not playing many, many tournaments between the Ryder Cup and uh, starting up again next year. So I'll have a good chance to, uh, it's nice to see crowds back and, and everybody being able to go. And I'll have a chance to go along and, uh, and watch a few of them. Do, do you get any of the guys on the tour into it? Are they as any other fellow golfers interested? Uh, there's a few people out there that's bought shares in horses. I know Shane Lowry's uh, got got a share in a horse. Maybe a couple of horses over in Ireland. Um, I think there's a few other lads that have kind of dabbled, um, but not not to the extent of how I've gone into it. Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're, you're pretty committed, which is brilliant yeah. to see. And look, we can always try and get them interested and they'll, they'll realise the passion that is pretty unique. Um, and look, that brings me on to another passion of yours. I'm, I'm, I have to have to talk about Nottingham Forest, your beloved team. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. I have, I, have two, yeah. <laughs> I have two questions. And I know, look, we, I'm, I'm a Chelsea fan, very, very different, but we've had our highs and our lows and we've had lots of manager changes as well. And I want to get your thoughts on what's been happening and who you would like to see in charge now you've got the news that your, your manager's gone after what's been a, a really less than ideal start to the season. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we've had 27 managers in 17 years, which is, is just ridiculous, isn't it? You know, anytime you're trying to build anything, um, you've got to put the foundations in and there's got to be continuity uh, and that all starts from the manager and they just haven't given anybody a chance. You know, I have a certain amount of sympathy uh, for Chris. Um, you know, you don't get long in football now. Uh, mm. Was he able to bring his own players in? Probably not. You know, it seems like other people are buying the players for him. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you, you judge on your results and... Um, he just didn't have the results and it looked towards the end like the players weren't, I hate the phrase that he'd lost the dressing room or the players weren't playing mm. for him because if you're a professional sportsman, you should go out and try your hardest every single time. And, you know, it just looks like, you know, a lot of them weren't pulling them away. So, you know, a, a certain amount of sympathy for him. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, the two, two wins since April is just not good enough. And, uh, you know, he'll know that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the next guy to come in because don't see anything changing. I think, you know, the whole club probably needs a bit of an overhaul. And uh, is, is the new manager going to be able to do that? Well, probably not. He'll probably not be given enough time. 
Yeah, I was going to say, do you think it's a simple fix as just a new manager change? I think with Nottingham Forest bringing a new manager and it's like giving somebody an aspirin when they've had a heart attack. Mm. I think, uh, you know, you're just plastering over the cracks all the time at Forest at the moment. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's hard it's hard work and it's difficult to try and bring back that belief again and that's what you'll need mentally a very strong manager that's been there with the team that have perhaps mm. been been down been down that road. Yeah, I hope somebody can. I hope it's a big personality that comes in there and can, you know motivate the players that that he's got. Another problem is you know yes they've got a great fan base but you know a lot of the fans living in the past you know they're falling back on them two European Cup wins um, from oh, nearly 40 years ago now isn't it so yeah. uh, you know you, at the same time the fans have to be realistic I don't think they're asking for European Cup wins they're asking for you know cha- challenging for promotion from the championship but uh, you know it's uh, they've got to, there's got to be realistic goals laid out and uh and you know the, the the manager continually under pressure, and, and compared to Brian Clough as well, who's one of the most successful managers of all time. Um, you know, it's, there's there's a lot of things going on at Forest that to battle with. And I suppose that the game on Ryder Cup Saturday is going to be quite important in terms of the mentality they show. And I know that morning's foursome when Forest are lining up against Millwall. Um, I think you might <laughs> you might be having quite an important moment yourself. I know that um, your, your son, obviously you said Sam is going to be um, with you by your side, but we saw brilliant pictures of Helen holding up the laptop so you could watch for us on your way back from Wentworth last week. Um, do you have to wait yeah. until you're back in the clubhouse to catch up on the day's action? How are you going to follow it? Or you just have to put it to one side? Yeah, I'll be a bit busy on Saturday, I think, to be keeping up with the <laughs> score. But you'll notice when Helen was holding the laptop, she was asleep as well yeah, the, the, the thrilling football that Forrest are <laughs> playing at the moment um, but yeah you know I try and watch them wherever I am in the world so uh, you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan and I have been for years so you know I try and keep up to date with it all yeah, I mean, so many, so many sporting endeavours that you're trying to keep up with, and and it's brilliant. And look, before I let you go, I've got a couple of quick fire questions, if you don't mind. Mainly jumps related because we are predominantly SBK podcast, a, a racing um, podcast. Um, so I wanted to see where you stand with these quick fire. Right, we'll start. Masters jacket, Nottingham Forest back in the prem, or Cheltenham Gold Cup as an owner. Uh, Masters jacket. Um, I don't know if you watched last year's channel but you might be following the the, the horses that have been running so far appreciate it or Bob Ollinger Bob favourite jumps trainer ooh well I've got a few with jumps uh, trainers haven't I so if I said that I'd upset about four or five people um I, I enjoy uh, Ian Williams's company and I enjoy uh, Warren Greatrix's company as well. They're always very informative, keep you in the loop. And uh, um, with another syndicate I'm involved with, the Albatross Club, we've got a few uh, horses with them. And I like, I like the way they send emails and do videos and stuff like that. And they're, and they're obviously both very successful as well. Brilliant. Uh, flat trainer then, probably similar, the, the guys that you're very well associated with. Yeah, Mick and David are very, very entertaining. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I I'll say it. that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> Fine then, jump jockey. Favorite jump jockey of all time or all time? Probably? Oh, I mean, Tony McCoy will want me to be saying him, won't he? And I know Mick Fitzgerald well, so he'll want me to be saying him. So. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give them a tie, the pair of them, and uh, um, they're both terrible tipsters, by the way. Uh, Who's a better golfer? Oh, Mick. Mick plays a lot. Yeah. He's a real ba- he's a real bandit. We actually had a pro am a celebrity pro am at Wentworth a couple of weeks ago, and Shane Larry was playing with the jockeys, and I said the night before, I said the jockeys will win that pro am. Sure enough, <laughs> the next day. Ruby Wall shows one from thirty feet on the last to win by a shot for the jockeys. They're yeah. a bunch of band. They're a bunch of bandits. In classic Ruby Wall style, in classic. Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll end on favorite race and rate, favorite rate one race that you would love to win as an owner. It'd have to be the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Cheltenham Gold Cup. Nothing, nothing beats Cheltenham. Right, well, Lee, look, no. thank you so much. I know that you've kindly agreed to donate this fee for appearing on the podcast to Newcastle Doug and Cat Shelter and the Ebony Horse Club. So all I can say is thank you so much for your time. Best of luck at the Ryder Cup. Best of luck with all your horses. I'll be following them Thanks. very closely. Um, hopefully you'll see them through Racing TV where you'll be seeing me um, uh, commentating on them. But look, best of luck, as I said, and we hope to catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Jess. Thank you.